0: Hey out there rock and rollers, welcome to the 146th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined as usual by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And we appreciate everybody tuning in last week to our interview with jim mccarty the the legendary yardbirds drummer who is a member of the rock and roll hall of fame talking about his new single breath of the wind and sharing some fun anecdotes about his days with the yardbirds in the 60s we really appreciate him such a gentleman and his single breath of the wind is out september 15th so be sure everybody go out and have a listen to that download it buy it good man great song and it was a great show. We really appreciate having him on. This week, we return to our album review roots. You know, we like to do albums having big anniversaries. And so this week, we tackle one we probably wouldn't have done a few years back. Because if you look over our list of shows, you can see it's very hard rock, heavy metal focused. But we've also got a pretty nice chunk of prog rock, progressive rock, bands that we might have known when we were young in the 80s, but they were different from when they were big in the 70s I'm talking about bands like yes and genesis of course we've had steve hackett on the show and in the last decade i personally have gotten more into the 70s peter gabriel and steve hackett era genesis songs and all of prog really of course pink floyd was huge for us growing up maybe a little different in the 80s when we saw the in N- TV than they were in the 70s, but as fans, we eventually made those connections and now we appreciate the prog foundations that they laid in the 70s, which then allowed them to maybe shift gears a little bit, be more pop in the 80s. Well, in 1983, Genesis released their self-titled album, Genesis, which was the follow-up to Abacab. But at the same time, Phil Collins, who joined the band in the early 70s as the drummer and now is the singer after the departure of Peter Gabriel, is having a huge solo career of his own. His Face Value album in 1980 does very well, and Hello, I Must Be Going, which preceded this Genesis 1983 album, also did incredibly well. Now, after 1983, and the Genesis album sold very well 4 million in the US, more than 8 million worldwide the biggest success was still yet to come. Built on the success of this album and Phil's previous solo albums, he then did No Jacket Required, an enormous selling record, 25 million worldwide. And then Genesis would do Invisible Touch, which would be about their biggest selling album of all time. Fifteen to twenty million maybe worldwide over the years. That's a huge run they're on. And so this is an interesting album in that it's kind of where Jackson and I came in. The song That's all was big on MTV and the radio when we were kids. And it's kind of our first understanding of who Genesis really were. And then by the time they got to Invisible Touch, we were aware obviously we're aware who Phil Collins was because he would be everywhere during this time. And that's both a positive and a negative for the band. But we're going to get into all that here as we talk about the Genesis 1983 album. First, we've got just a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we like to remind you that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different shows. All musical related. Not everything's hard rock. Not everything's rock and roll. There really is something in there for everybody. So I encourage you to go check it out at Pantheonpodcast.com or follow them on socials at Pantheon Pods. But we have to recommend, guys, that you go visit our sponsor, rarevinyl.com. They're based in the UK. They got a quarter of a million records and other great music memorabilia items in stock. They ship all over the world. They've got a five-star rating from Trustpilot, and they're good folks. i visited their warehouse. I've met all their people. They do an amazing job procuring and taking care of these records, archiving them, and then getting them to you in great shape. So you go there, find something that you love, and then you can use code UGLY, U-G-L-Y, to save 10% off your orders. And that's a one-time code, so don't just go buy one $8 easy-to-find single. Go find a lot of special things. Save yourself some good money it's rarevital.com. use that code ugly now back to genesis yeah i admit i wasn't a hard rocker when i was 10 when this album came out in october of 1983 i was learning about music i was watching mtv and this would come on and i think that's part of why phil became such a big star because suddenly singers and pop stars they weren't just musical performers they had to be actors as well and phil had that he went to drama school uh, and he was obviously a bit of a ham He's also a pretty self-effacing guy. It would seem on the surface. You know, he's not afraid to play a role in a three or four minute music video. And I think that just helped him skyrocket. And then the music interview said, ooh, this guy works. Let's put him in everything. Some of that has led to a lot of Phil backlash. But I got to tell you, the guy worked very hard during this time and he got a lot of success out of it and this album has some good stuff on it some of the singles i didn't love some of it's a little adult contemporary but with home by the sea and second home by the sea they still have some prog in them and you're familiar with almost every song on the album because it was a single or they played it on the radio so we decided as it turns 40 we're going to dive into genesis self-titled 1983 record right here on the wolf Well, I guess it's time to talk about Genesis, All right, which we've done before, Mm -hmm. but we've always talked about Prague superstar Genesis with Peter Gabriel and Steve Hackett. We have never talked about big MTV pop superstar Genesis before. Mm -hmm. And this one, I don't know. I I mean, I think we were both keen to do it, but I think you suggested this one way back when, when we knew it was going to be turning 40 this year. Yeah. Why, why was why did you say, "Hey, let's go ahead and, and take a hard look at this one it, for I think for a couple of
2: different reasons this this was one of the first videos I remember seeing in heavy rotation on MTV that that's all video. Mm-hmm. And then, in thinking about how if you came into this band when we did, you would never know that they had started off as something very different, the same way you know nine oh one two five came out the same year. For yes and that right. was the same deal you thought oh yeah these guys are a, they're a pop band from from england no right. no they're not at all they are now but they weren't before but yeah i mean this this album was all over the place and then to me it just kind of bled into no jacket required in 85 and so i mean for a run of about a good 10 years phil collins was all over mtv like you could not get rid of him and you know, then that went into movie roles and TV roles. And so, yeah, yeah this this album was, I won't say it's one of my favorites, but right. it's definitely, you definitely can't escape the legacy of this thing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And uh, you're right about That's All. I mean, uh, I remember hearing That's All on the radio, and I think I even recorded on, like, I get a cassette and not even like a nice Maxel cassette. I'm talking like a 69 cent, like, got it at <laughs> Target and a pack of like six cassettes. But then, you know, if you had a stereo, you know, that had a an amp and and had a radio uh you know the fm radio then you could record random songs off the radio if you timed it right you know yeah Uh, and i remember specifically recording this one didn't really know genesis didn't obviously know who they were before the 80s or before 78 when they did and then there were three album with the first follow you follow me when they kind of started to make that hard transition from being the prog band with the 20 minute songs to being more of a four minute pop band Mm. Obviously, yeah, had no idea when I saw Shock the Monkey, you know, on MTV. I didn't think, oh, well, here's Peter Gabriel, uh, you know, who used to be a Genesis. No idea. Just He's just some guy named Peter Gabriel. I had no clue <laughs> about any of this when I'm like nine, ten years old. And honestly, I th- as I'm sure we've talked on this show before. Probably on our Hackett shows that we did number five and number six almost three years ago now. Hard to believe. Didn't realize that Peter Gabriel and Steve Hackett were in the band or that they had all this great, incredibly intricate and cool music. I mean, I didn't really know that till I was 30 or so. I guess I knew that Peter Gabriel had been in Genesis, (laughs) but I didn't I didn't hear any of it until I was much older. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same, same. I mean, I I didn't think I, I don't didn't
2: catch up with Peter Gabriel until so came out and then it was kind of like oh you know that he was in genesis before they before well before he left right in in the late 70s and yeah i mean or mid-70s i guess and just had no clue no clue that they had put this stuff together no clue that they had had these records out because there really isn't anything from those records that was on the radio i mean like yes right. had like you know uh roundabout round and stuff like that so yeah. you had heard that but you hadn't heard the record there really isn't anything on american uh radio from those old or from the true prog
0: albums you're, you're right about that and remember we had carl palmer on the show and he's like yeah in the 70s in america it was brilliant you could get anything on the radio you huh. You got a 12 minute suite that has like chimes and stuff in it. There's an American DJ somewhere who will put that on FM radio. But as soon as we got to 82 and we made Asia, they're like, you got to cut all that stuff out. And it's AOR mm. and it's, you know, four minutes at the most, you know, kind of thing. And Genesis, although they always kind of had at least one long song on every album, they they did the same thing. And yeah, you're right. Yes, owner of the Lonely Heart, which is also turning forty, which we may just get to uh, mm-hmm. nine hundred one two five before the end of the year. Here, Genesis was was doing the same thing. You know, we're going to have these. Pop- well, plus, it changed. You know, without Peter Gabriel, they didn't have these these necessarily these these long huge stories anymore without steve hackett you didn't have to have room for incredible guitar work and tony's piano playing Mm -hmm. but they they also always kind of made room for others to do solo albums i mean steve hackett had done a solo album tony banks's first solo album was in 79 after the and then there were three album came out everybody kind of worked on each other's solo albums like phil played on steve's solo album and stuff like that so you know they they kind of had the main band but it seemed like there was enough space for people to do other things now nobody knew that phil collins was going to have (laughs) this extraordinary solo career and when we do one of these album reviews we always like to talk about okay where was the band before you know leading up To this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we talk about 78, all of a sudden they get a little bit pop there. And in 81, they released Abacab, uh, which was a pretty big hit for them and had some big tracks they played basically to the day. I mean, had no reply at all on it. Abacab, although no one knows exactly what it means, it was still a pretty big hit for them. And they've been working with Hugh Padgham, uh, who worked with Dire Straits and is, you know, an incredibly strong producer. You know, a lot of times it was just produced by Genesis. But now like, okay, we're going to work with Hugh and make sure that, you know, we we kind of keep this going in the right direction kind of thing. So they done Duke and then they did Abacab. But see, at the same time phil collins is creating this solo career right
1: mm-hmm.
0: and let's see here phil's first album was that 1980 80 or 81 i think no face value was 1981 okay okay so 81 they did both abacab which is a you know a million seller or whatever plus phil did early in 81 he did face value which included in the air tonight and missed again. Mm -hmm. And you know, how many did it sell? I mean, like 10 million. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a big, it was a big hit then, and yeah. then he put out "Hello, oh, I must, must Be Going,", be going correct, right. which wasn't as big, but still didn't do too shabby. So you wonder if, at this point in time, had the dynamic of the band changed any?
0: Well, and and the the answer is kind of yes. I mean, you know, I, I see five million in the U.S., twelve million. It was twelve <laughs> million worldwide. <laughs> Goodness for face value, and then eighty-one, they do uh, yeah the 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 abacab and the tour, and then. Phil goes back to Hello, I Must Be Going, and he's got Can't Hurry Love on there, and you've got Don't Care Anymore, which, you know, obviously it's not as big as In the Air Tonight, but I've got $3 million in the U.S., And it's probably about seven or eight million around the world. So not so bad to be uh, Phil Collins there. So it was like, yeah, it was like, we're going to take eight months off from Genesis. And in that time, he worked on Robert Plant's album and he did the Philip Bailey song, Easy Lover. And then he put out his own thing, which was also produced by Hugh Padgham. you know, so it's like. Phil, uh, you want People like to give Phil a hard time, but Phil wasn't letting any grass grow under his feet. Phil, Phil was working pretty hard in these days, and it was obviously paying off for him.
2: Right, and usually that's kind of a one-off subject when somebody does somebody from a big band does a solo record. It's usually like some kind of passion project, and mm-hmm. you're not going to sell a ton of copies, but you want to do something a little different. This was not that at
0: all. These were huge successes. This was not what was it? Bill Wyman's Monkey Grip. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But then, you know, I mean, I remember seeing a thing on Fleetwood Mac with Stevie Nicks. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to go do a solo album. But if it does really badly, that could hurt the band. But if it does too well, that could hurt hurt the band. Because then everyone's like, well, Stevie's this star, you know, kind of thing. And I think that's what kind of was, was happening here. You know, No Jacket Required hadn't come out quite yet. But then like to kind of keep the Genesis thing going in 82, because they didn't, they didn't have a tour in 82 and they didn't have an album release. They released a three by three EP called three by three. And it had the song paper late. Remember that song paper late? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember this is weird because it wasn't on an album, but, But there it is, it's from 1982, it got into the charts. They also did Three Sides Live, where they had exactly what it says there, Three Sides Live from over the years, and I think they even had a little bit of, from the Steve Hackett days on there, it's like most of it was like 80 and 81, but I think some of it went back to even 76, when Steve was still in the band. And then on the, uh, on side four, they threw it, at least on the US side, they threw in Paper Late, and uh everything from three by three plus they put on a couple of uh b-sides evidence of autumn was a banks composition that was on the b side of turn it on again in the u.s and on the b side of misunderstanding the uk and then open door was the b side to duchess so that was side four of this double album that mm-hmm. they put out so kind of like kiss alive too where the first three sides were live and then the last one was uh was uh, said studio stuff on it so and that went, that's a double live album, and it went gold, right? So Genesis is, is you know, they've kind of got this thing going. They don't want to stop, but they have to make room for Phil's solo act, which is becoming bigger. But, I mean, to his credit, he's not really letting it ruin Genesis. <laughs> right. Because he does they they make this record
2: then he does no jacket required then they do invisible touch which is which is huge and a huge tour so yeah he was he was the one that could prop, that could bridge both of those two worlds live in both of them and be successful and I, I guess the other guys were okay with that and it, they knew that Genesis was their thing they put their English too so who knows Because I've, I've tried to watch a whole bunch of interviews with them to see and it, it didn't seem like there was any animosity
0: but you never know. But hard to get a read off Tony, man. I mean, yeah. talk about the kind of typical English, you know, no emotion there. You know, like, right. s- smile, Tony. You've sold 100 million records or something yeah. like that. E- even at his second to last show ever with Genesis in the O2, when they're kind of introducing everyone around. And, you know, Mike, Mike might not show his teeth, but he'll smile and wave to the crowd. Tony's just standing there stoically. Mm hmm. And I I even said it, I'm like, smile, you sack, you know, you're rich and famous, (laughs) you know, you can't get it from him. Very, very English, but even he was trying his hand at solo records i mean he had one in 79 i think it was called a curious feeling in 83 before genesis the self-titled genesis album comes out he releases the fugitive which i don't think went anywhere in america it probably charted in england now it says peak position 50 so <laughs> so no so no, no, they're like, just wait, wait, just do something with Phil Collins, won't you? <laughs> yeah, that probably pissed Tony off a little bit. But, you know, the thing is, the change had happened. Like, everyone used to have their own writing credits. And then mm-hmm. on this one, part of the reason they called it Genesis self-titled was because they did, all the writing credits were shared by the guys. At right. least all the music was. You mm-hmm. We find out later, like, who wrote the and who wrote the lyrics. So I don't know if that means they decided we're going to share all all writing credits 33 33 33 or did they say all right we'll all get like 1 right because basically When it comes to writing credits, it's half music and half lyrics, right? Like to ASCAP and that kind of thing, it's basically it's 50% melody and 50% lyrics. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that means they each get a sixth of every song musically, a sixth of the writing, and then whoever wrote the lyrics gets 50%. Or do they all get 25% of a song for the music and then whoever wrote the lyrics gets that fourth 25%. I don't know. I don't know how they decided to do it. Maybe at this, side they decide, at this point, they decided, you know what? Let's just put it all 50-50-50 or 33 apiece. And I'll figure it out. Look, Phil's stuff is selling well with Genesis. It's selling well outside of Genesis. Why don't we all just get a third of everything and make it easy? But I
2: don't know. Yeah, and and one of the notes here was that they used to have stuff that they would bring in and then work on it, and but that kind of led to people getting bent out of shape when you bring a song in and somebody says, well, what if you do it this way? No, this is my song. I want it done exactly the way that I want it done. Mm-hmm. In this scenario, it's more everybody's kind of everybody's kind of working together to put the song together, so that there. I think there's less hurt feelings when people have different ideas.
0: Yeah, and that should help the camaraderie. Right. Plus, I mean, didn't they have the farm? Now they had like their own. Mm-hmm place where it's like they had a recording studio and it was a place kind of out in the country they could get away from so you didn't necessarily have to come in with as much you can go in there and start to ideate which is a bullshit corporate word my wife taught me but come up with stuff together and and throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks there and and kind of go from there yeah, it, we it, we uh, yeah. we forget
2: now with the with the everybody's got a laptop and pro tools and everything else i mean they used to spend thousands of dollars an hour for mm-hmm. these big-time uh, recording studios, so yeah, you didn't want to just go in there and fool around, but if you had your own studio like right. this, yeah, you were a lot freer to yeah experiment. Yeah,
0: and then if you want to make money or or pay the taxes on the studio or whatever, fine, rent it out to other people when you're <laughs> not there. But when you want to do something, then you've got you know all the time in the world, right? So, right. Yeah, and I I've, I've seen like them in a documentary or something like that like riding their bikes and I don't know if it's like from the main house to the recording house or whatever I'm like that seems lovely let's just take a bike ride to work you know but it's not like a bike ride in the streets of London where you're like dodging buses and lorries and stuff like that and people walking on the wrong side you know it's like la 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 seems nice the ideal english countryside yes <laughs> but the songs that have endured are still the Collins lyrics. And then to a degree, Banks, it seems like Rutherford was not, I don't know, it it seems like his stuff wasn't appreciated as much. I mean, there's nine songs in the album, and Rutherford did the lyrics for four of them. So he has more writing, like lyric writing, than anybody else. Collins only had two. Hey, guess what? They're both singles, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And then Tony Banks had some, and we're going to kind of get into all that. But then it wasn't so long after that, he was in 85 that he puts together Mike and the mechanics and they do hmm. run silent, run deep and eventually does stuff like the living years. And, you know, has he has a pretty big solo career. It's like I think this might have pissed Tony Banks off because Peter Gabriel went on to have a huge solo career, a Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Hall of Fame solo career. Steve Hackett it may not be of huge recognition in America as a solo artist. However, he's made dozens of solo records and has a very loyal following, and he's touring the U.S. this fall. In fact, mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's this month or it's, it's at least October coming up as we record this. You know, Phil Collins becomes one of the biggest solo artists in the world. Mike has this really huge thing, side project with Mike and the Mechanics. Tony continued to release albums, and I think they do okay in the UK, but they don't really go anywhere else. And I, I feel like that just made him a little, you know, I write all this music for Genesis. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who screams the loudest and makes sure that my stuff, my riffs, my piano pieces are on all these songs, and yet I'm the only one who doesn't achieve the huge success away from the band.
2: Yeah. And and even though you are stoic and you have that English sensibility about you, yeah, it, it there has to be some part of you that's not happy with that or you think wh- why not me? Why do these other guys have success outside the band and I the, for whatever reason people it, the music that I make on my own doesn't resonate
0: the same way. And you can't say it's because he doesn't sing or he's not the main singer. Because he does sing on, I think, uh, on, on a lot of his songs. Steve Hackett didn't sing on his songs till very late in his career. He always had singers in for mm-hmm. him. Mike you know, obviously famously had Paul Young and Paul Carrick in his band because he didn't sing, you know, you know, so it's, it's not just because he wasn't a singer. So it it probably, it's probably a little crawl, you know, and then he he started to do some classical stuff, which did better than his pop stuff. So Mm. maybe that's like, well, yes, I'm a serious artist, you know,
2: (laughs) I record classical music. I don't put silly songs.
0: Yes. You know.
3: Hi, this is Steve Hackett. and You're
0: listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. But nevertheless, so yeah, this one sold it was four million in the US alone, which is kind of amazing. Platinum in Germany and France and New Zealand and and double platinum in the UK. And so, you know, I'm guessing it probably sold in the seven to eight million dollar I'm seven seven to eight million copy range, something like mm-hmm. that around the world. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, honestly. Yeah. I mean, versus say what did Wind and the Wuthering sell sell, you know, what did selling England by the pound sell? Especially in its first year, I mean, it's since it's kind of become a classic, but in 1972, 73, they weren't selling eight million albums a year,
2: right? And the, and that's kind of the hard part for me too. Going and doing research for this, you see the the sales as of now, but you you really wonder when this record came out, or you know, even avocab do people go and work backwards from there and do the back catalog get a huge bump? From people discovering the band at that point in time.
0: Yeah, see, I, I'm kind of doubtful uh, because, especially in America, you just—I I, never—I still to this day have never heard a Peter Gabriel-era Genesis song on the radio, not once in 50 years, never yeah, in America.
2: We probably say the same thing, and not that I remember,
0: you know. But I—but starting with follow you follow me i've heard genesis all over the place and i've heard peter gabriel's solo stuff all mm. over the place but never have i heard kind of pre phil collins as the lead singer genesis on american radio
2: ever unless you're in one of those you know freaky deep cuts somebody's going on a journey and they throw something like that in there
0: right and then i'm i'm sure that they played it on the radio in the 70s when it was coming out new and they're like promoting the album and they're promoting the tour sure I don't really come into the radio till like 81 or 82. Mm. And then that's when classic rock radio just starts to become a thing. It was like in that early to mid 80s. Suddenly there's like, you know what? It doesn't have to be on the top 40 right now, but it was in the 70s or it was in the 60s. So we're going to play classic Stones or classic whatever Eagles, you know, on this station. And it'll be like, time stops and maybe and, and of course when we were in high school and stuff they had the best classic rock and today's rock mm. you know so you would hear stuff from the 60s 70s and then you'd hear the new hot rock and stuff that was in the charts in the 80s now because it's so broad you don't really have stations like that anymore you have stations that have like 60s 70s and 80s and then it stops or like my favorite well it was my old favorite qmf 957. it was the Rock Station my entire life. I moved back. They still do sixty. It's mostly 70s and 80s, but they do a lot of 90s now. And they do a ton you would think Bon Jovi and Guns N' Roses were the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, the way they play them on this station. (laughs) It's crazy. Plus, they have like that whole, it's they do have some grunge, which you know I don't like, but then they also kind of have that 90s, it's like bands that just aren't that good. Like like Lip Biscuit. I'm like, that counts as classic rock? You gotta be kidding me. Those guys suck. Like Three Doors Down, fine. I like those guys. But but that whole new metal nonsense mm-hmm. just ugh.
2: unfortunately if i think classic rock is well i mean what's the rock and roll hall of fame 25 years after right. you put out your first record so yeah that does count as classic rock unfortunately now
0: yeah but it classically sucked then, and it sucks <laughs> even worse now <laughs> that's what i say anyway let's not go down that road let's get into genesis self-titled 1983 multi-platinum juggernaut not as big as invisible touch but that that's that's what's coming next right so. right but
2: but i think this definitely opened the door for that cuz th- because i think when invisible touch came out this was still played the tracks here were still played on the radio and you had the phil collins stuff so yeah this well not as big i think this
0: definitely kept the Kept the momentum going for them. Absolutely, it did. Absolutely, it did. All right, so let's let's start with the first song, which was a single, and that's "Mama."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now they made a video for
2: this thing, but I don't ever remember seeing it.
0: I, I, I don't either. I mean, I think I saw it much later in life, kind of like when I got into Steve Hackett mm-hmm. uh, from the uh, when they did the uh, the BBC thing. Uh, Some of the parts so good, such a good. And I know Steve Hackett didn't like it because they didn't really talk much about his solo career. It was just really about the band. But that's what got me into Steve. So it can't be all bad, Steve. Come on, man. (laughs) But anyway, so yeah, Mama, First single, Mm -hmm. it went to number four in the UK. And that is the highest a Genesis song has gone in the UK. I'm like, what? Really? This one? Because this is a weird one to me. It went to five in mainstream rock in the U.S., but it only went to seventy-three on the Billboard Top 100 because it's it's kind of an odd song. It's it's downbeat. You know, Tony's kind of got the he's got the thing going, but it's 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 kind of a dark song. B-side was it's going to get better, and it's got that weird. (laughs) 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 It's it's very very strange. It's not what you think of when you think Genesis. (laughs) (laughs)
2: and a weird way weird that it was a single but also weird that it was the first track on the record too because it to me it sounds like industrial before Mm -hmm. that was even a thing At the beginning and it's got it yeah it's got the weird video and are we is this about him being in love with a prostitute or something and she doesn't love him back or something and then yeah that the uh the laughing part is odd although they did say it was weird because they thought he could never do it live but apparently he could no problem
0: yeah and also on that some of the parts he's talking about like he got that from grandmaster flash he's like yeah (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, okay, I see that with Grandmaster Flash. I I recognize that. He's like, see, Genesis, Grandmaster Flash? Putting it all together, aren't we? I'm like, no, you're not, man. That doesn't make any fucking sense.
3: I I, I don't get it. Maybe
0: to you, but no. Okay. But they play it. They played it I mean they played it like on every tour they did basically after that and I'm like really this this one this is just I mean you could substitute out so many other things for this when I saw them on the last domino tour the second to last show they ever did yeah it was like the third song that they did in the t- on the night and I'm like this one you know it just it just it surprised me But then I didn't know it was such a huge hit for them in England. And that changes things, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Kiss plays the same set list every night in America. But when they go to England, they put in crazy, crazy nights because that was a huge hit over there. Minor hit over here. So Mama's a huge hit in the UK. That's where they're from. They care more about that than anywhere else. So it's like, okay, I, I get it. So I can say I saw them perform this song. I wasn't super psyched about it, but, but Hey, but there it is. You know, it's, uh, it's special to them. It's important to them. And, uh, and so they did it, but I I don't like it and it's yeah, long too. I mean, yeah. it's almost seven minutes long. So that's not the single version. The single
2: version is like half that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't, they very, very bizarre. And and if it was a huge hit for them, that's excellent, but yeah, I I could skip over this one to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. Actually, the single version wasn't half that. The single version was like just over six minutes, which is kind of surprising. The video was five minutes and change. And then they also had a long version, probably on like a 12 inch uh, single that was like seven and a half. I'm like, you make that longer. What for, dude? This is... <laughs> and it's a song singing to a prostitute. And I'm like, Ugh. all right, can we move along, please? Cause yeah. that's, compared to Duke and Abacab, like the songs are better on those at least to start. Now you got the kind of bouncy that's all piano piece. Both of these are Collins lyrics, these first two. And this one I I've liked it ever since I was a kid and I still like it. I mean, it's, you know, released on uh Halloween 1983. This one did pretty well on the charts. I mean, 6 hot 100 in the in the US, 7 on Adult Contemporary, and it made it top 20 in uh in the UK, got to 2 in Canada's Adult Contemporary. It did, it did pretty well around the world. Yeah. And, and I remember
2: the video like it was yesterday. It was on pretty heavy rotation. I thought it was a little strange that you could do whatever you want. And they wanted to be hobos. <laughs> uh, and it was also like, these guys are rock stars. Okay. They look kind of old and not super. I mean, in 1983, as a child, they look old and not. Right. I mean, compared charismatic to, to me.
0: Michael Jackson and Duran Duran and Minute Work, it's like, yeah. no, these guys are grownups with kids. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> Duran Duran's like, I'm gonna look like the guys in Duran Duran in about seven years. Like it's gonna be a long time before I look like these guys, you know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But that but that piano intro, I mean, you play that one second you know exactly what it is. I always thought it was a little weird, too, with that electronic drum beat. And then when you figure out, wait a minute, Phil Collins was the drummer and he let them use that pre-programmed piece of garbage. OK, well, you know, he's got to I mean, sing. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it works. And I understand that. Yes, when when they play live, he doesn't do the drumming. I just thought it was weird. But then they put there are real drums that come in. Right. About halfway through. Right.
0: And they, you know, they they play this a lot. They did not play it when I saw them. But I mean, they, they could do so many different things. They've got so much that they could do. You can't really get super pissed off if they don't play. Oh, wait, that's not. They they played it, but they played it differently. I'm, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Okay. It was like an acoustic thing. Huh. Without the kind of classic piano, without the classic drum, it was just a little different. I assume that there's going to be a live album and a DVD released of this last tour. Although maybe they'll just do an album because, I mean, Phil looked half Dead mm-hmm. in the show. I mean, I, I yeah. joked it was the corpse of Phil Collins out there. Mm-hmm. His he still had the attitude, but he had to sit and kind of hold his cane in his mm-hmm. hand there. And I, I give him credit for belting it out and honoring because, they, you know, it, this got delayed because of covid mm-hmm. and his health kind of went down during that time. Plus, I'm pretty sure he was on some real pain meds because when he was on like BBC, he kind of had that slur going on. Oh boy, that you hear from people who are taking a lot of pain meds. Mm. And I, I thought he sounded good, but you know he was also kind of a little ornery between some songs, and you know he's like "fuck Putin." You know, it was like, "Yeah," I'm like, "Yeah," but dude, you don't need to say that. Uh, you don't, you don't <laughs> see the F word in front of everybody. Yeah, but anyway, you no, know, yeah, because they they kind of had this. They did the first nine or ten songs, and they kind of broke it down because they had a couple keyboard players and they had a backup singers, and then they kind of just broke it down. It was Phil Tony comes up front to have a little small kind of electric piano play thing, Mike, and then Nick on the on the drums. Nick was excellent. On mm-hmm. the drums, by the way. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan of nepotism in bands. Like, oh yeah, we'll just put my kid in the band. Like, you could get someone better. I know you can. I mean, even though they they've grown up listening to it, I know they're fine. You get someone better. Now, I, I think Nick really did earn it and do a really good job. But they did. That's all. They did. Lamb lies down on Broadway, which was a little surprising to me. And then they did. Follow you, follow me, which of course I love. So. Mm-hmm. They they did those kind of in this stripped down, though. So, that was cool. But it's it wasn't exactly the same. But I, I remember as a kid listening to That's All, no big, heavy guitars. Kind of surprised that I like it. But it must have been Phil's voice that was starting to become ubiquitous at this point. Yeah, and, and you say that. And I was kind of thinking the same
2: thing, too. But if you go back and and listen to it a couple of times, it, Rutherford is doing something a little tasty there at the end with the solo. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not overstated, but it just it fits in really nicely. And I think he's another one of those guys that we talked about a couple of times, like Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers, where, you know, he, it's not real flashy, but it's exactly what you need in the track.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, Rutherford is not Steve Hackett as a guitar mm-hmm. player. But he is a very nice, very fine guitar player. He's certainly a competent guitar player that you're right. He puts in what is needed Mm -hmm. to the song. Plus, if they need something else, they can always get Daryl Sterner to, to kind of pop something in there. But I think they're pretty adamant about we'll make all the music and then we need those other guys to tour. So I'll, I'll put right. in the bass, I'll put in the guitar, and then to do it live, yes, we need Daryl who can switch back and forth also, and we need Chester on the drums. But but yeah, I mean, they that's what they are. They're musicians and they do all this. The B-side was, in the UK, it was taking it all too hard, which we'll get to here in a bit. In the US, the B-side was second home by the sea, which we're obviously going to get there here in a second. But it did well. It's, it's one that kind of endures, and it's a fill right, so it did well for them. Now we get into, you know, some of the more classic kind of Genesis stuff, as far as I'm concerned, because you could take Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea as one suite Mm -hmm. that's kind of like 11 minutes long. They they are definitely different songs. They have different rhythms. They have different chord progressions or whatever. There is a little bit at the end of Second Home by the Sea. There is a little bit of a callback to the to the lyrics of Home Mm -hmm. by the Sea but breaking them in half home by the sea i always loved this song it 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 all, it was kind of a deep cut on classic rock radio while we were growing up i mean it was a yeah. single but it right. wasn't like a huge single and, and to mm. me it was kind of a it was an album cut Dreaming of the time we were free.
2: Yeah, and it and it's more. It, this is more upbeat. This is it's weird because it's darker, but it's more upbeat. Exactly. And, yeah, it, and they do that pretty well. Put uh, put those two together, and then you kind of have some odd lyrics there. Like, what is he really talking about? There's some deal about how it's a it's a story about a guy who breaks into a house, right. and it's haunted. <laughs>
0: Okay. And then the ghosts hold him there and tell him all
2: about <laughs> their lives. And... <laughs> but it, it's it's interesting because I was thinking about when I was reading that and then listening to the song, I was kind of thinking about Neil from Def Lap mm-hmm. podcast and about what he was saying about growing up in Liverpool and having all the old guys tell him about, you know, how great the Beatles were. I kind of got that like, you know, we live our lives through what we tell you. Like okay, we've heard these stories a million times. Thanks, no one cares anymore. <laughs> right,
0: right. Well, I mean, here's the thing: it may not have really been. I mean, it it, it was a single, I guess, with Home in the home, home by the Sea on the front and Second Home by the Sea on the back. But it was like released in the Netherlands, you know, or it was it was you know, and then it hit the charts in New Zealand, Australia, in like 86, 87, <laughs> kind of after Invisible Touch <laughs> had come out and had all yeah. that run, and they're like, well, we got another one for you, and. It is good, and I, I feel like it was uh, heard on the radio some, but it, it was never on the charts, certainly not in America or the UK, in mm-hmm. the 83-84 time frame. But you're right. I mean, it's. I think it's a great composition. It's got great music in it. And then his singing is it, Someone help me, get me out of here. And it's like... Yeah it's it's supposed to be scary, but it's also it's it's it like you say, it's upbeat. and you can sing along to it, and it's got good progressions. Like this is just a really good song. It's just an odd topic, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't write songs, so I don't know how it goes, but to put those to put those things together and make it work. Uh, and you're right. It's it's cool when you, maybe you're not super familiar with a record and you get to something like this and you say, wow, you know, what, how come I've never heard this before? Why don't I hear this more because this this could I mean, it was a single, but it, this should have been on the radio more. The only thing I really ever remember hearing from this record at the time was that's all
0: I, I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent with you in America. And that was the case now they did play this on their last tour I mean I think they mm-hmm. they kind of continue to play this quite a bit and they, play, they played them both they played Home by the Sea and then they went second straight into second Home by the Sea and on the screens behind them they kind of had like a, a ghostly chateau like by the Ooh. sea there you know kind of green you know kind of thing there which fits better for the second part of it I feel like mm-hmm. and you see it as one sweet see it as one 11 minute song you know it, it, it's pretty good you know it, it's I liked it I liked the whole thing I mean I like the first part a heck of a lot better but I think it's cool that they still kind of honored them both and put them both together as one suite of music plus Mm -hmm. Phil doesn't have to sing as much during the second part right so that gives him a little time to take a break take a sip of water pop a pain pill whatever he's got to (laughs) do while you've got this screen going on and you've got Tony being able to do his thing and kind of show off a little bit so I like it and it's these are Tony Banks written songs at least the lyrics so you know that Tony's going to get his stuff into the show
1: (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: But that's side one. Now I've only ever had it on CD here. I got it used yeah. some some years ago because I'm like, yeah, this has got good stuff on it, and I, it's got the Home by the Sea suite on it. I want to have I that. Some.
2: I think I was in the same boat. It was one of those. You know, you're kind of just bebopping through the store, and you're like, is Genesis like you know on the 4.99 rack? Oh, yeah. I've got to, I've got to have a
0: copy of that exactly yeah yeah so i think i got it used but yeah i mean why not i mean if you can get that for five bucks you should absolutely pick that up you know
2: <laughs> but now that, granted it was it wasn't like the super deluxe version or you know it was the one where you pull it out and it's only you pull the uh the little booklet out and it's only got two pages and it's just the black and white stuff on the inside so you're buying it just for the music but i'll take it
0: that's right you know but it's it, these two songs that the home by the sea it was kind of like a microcosm of the transition from prog to pop it's like you take them all as a sweet mm-hmm. the two is a sweet all right that's an 11 minute song it's got these different changes and all that kind of stuff in it but the first part home by the Sea." It's kind of poppy, even mm-hmm. though it's kind of got this dark undertone to it. It's it's very poppy, and it's it's got some hooks in it. It's, it's something you would expect to hear on the radio. Anyway, going on to side two. Now, mm-hmm. this is where you find all the Mike Rutherford pen lyrics on mm-hmm. F- mm-hmm. four of these five, including the first one, Illegal Alien. Yes. Now, I kind of actually do remember this song a little bit. It was not okay. a huge hit, but you did hear it on the radio a bit and it went to 44 on the hot 100, which means you heard it. Whereas in the UK, it got to 46, which our friend Neil will tell you if it doesn't get to top 40, you didn't hurt it, hear it, you know, and you certainly mm-hmm. didn't see the video. It's supposed to be fun, right? I mean, it's like, you know, they basically wrote it based on the fact that, you know, they were having troubles securing their visas and stuff to like tour or whatever. They put uh Turn it on again, live as the B side, which turn it on again is my favorite, like latter day Genesis song or the pop Genesis uh, stuff. So it's was like, all right, that's cool. We put that back out there, you know? So it's like the fourth, I guess, single that came out from it released in, in early 84. Funny little video, but I think they got some flack for it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would imagine so. And when you look at it now, it's uh it's a little on the cringy side. Like I understand it's supposed to be tongue in cheek. I understand it's supposed to be goofy. You know, even the even the the intro is kind of goofy, you know, with the with the keyboard part. But mm-hmm. yeah, there there's some stuff in there where you're like, oh fellas, maybe we shouldn't have done that. <laughs>
0: waking up from a hangover carrying a bottle of tequila it's like yeah
2: and then you've got Phil Collins like is he is are we trying to have like a you know a Hispanic Mexican accent singing this and it's mm-hmm. like
0: Ooh. and they have their little mustaches onto the video it's like what right. are you trying to be Speedy Gonzales this, yeah. is, this is kind of ridiculous so. <laughs> I love that blender listed illegal alien is the 13 worst song of all time <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I noticed too that if you if you watch the video, they leave out a a refrain from one of the choruses where he's talking about like his sister will do whatever it takes to get him across the border or something like that. Like, mm. oh, geez, right.
0: okay, yeah, you know, I mean, I it, it's it's probably just done in bad taste, but I mean, they they got hammered for it. Like the Tampa Bay Times said it was ridiculous and asked if it was the one of the most racist songs of the eighties. Reader's Digest. Included a illegal alien on a list of racist songs, which is not good. It proves that uh, undervaluing Mexicans has been an American theme for decades. Well, they're English, so don't blame us Americans. Yeah. Um, the San Antonio current where you used to live says it goes full on racist and tackles every Hispanic stereotype that exists. So probably not a great uh, look for them. (laughs) Yeah. In hindsight, you might want to
2: take that back.
0: But the thing is, these are white people complaining about, you know, I mean, did any illegal aliens complain about it? No, because if they did, then we kicked them out for being illegal aliens. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) sorry, you know, it's, it's like, it's wrong, but it's like, you know, I, I, just, I don't want to hear from the white people. If the illegal aliens want to tell me that it's wrong, they can come and tell me that it's wrong, and then I'll have INS take them back to Mexico. <laughs> Thank you for filing the complaint. Exactly. Day, yeah, exactly. Just just walk down here. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. I mean, it's not a great song, and obviously the concept is wrong. The, the
2: one thing that struck me, too, is that the lyrics, they're are kind of shoehorned into the melody a lot of them they don't it doesn't really go together they they do it a lot better and a couple of other tracks on this song, but it just sounds like you wrote these probably independently and the, the refrains just don't fit in there for me anyway.
0: Yeah, and did, did Phil play a little trumpet in the bridge or in the... I don't know. It's, Someone did, or yeah. maybe it was
2: a keyboard, I don't know.
0: But it's just, you know, it was only played live in its entirety during the Mama Tour, which was the tour off this album. So mm. I think they got the hint eventually that... This is not one you need to kind of continue to do.
3: <laughs> Hi, this is Jim McCarty of the Arbots, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London.
0: But then the next song, Taking It All Too Hard, I get, what is this, the fifth single mm-hmm. off the album? Unbelievable. You have nine songs off the album, more than half of them are released in, as singles over the course of a year. And you know that's powerful, man, because you usually have a single that comes out before the album comes out in October of 83. Or is it, when was this released?
2: Uh This was October, I
0: think. Yeah, October 3rd yeah, uh, of 83. More than half the songs are singles. And this is probably what Mutt Lang was seeing when he's talking to Def Leppard. Like, look, this Pyromania album will get you three, maybe four singles. But the next one, we got to do five, mm-hmm. six seven singles which is what steve clark started like wringing his hands over like oh my god how are we gonna make five or six i better go drink a bottle of vodka to calm down (laughs) but this was this is kind of that classic 80s genesis soft rock like you You hear this on the rock station, but you'd also hear this on adult contemporary, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a little soft. Now I think it's a very nice song, but I mean, I wouldn't rock out to it, but when it comes on, I'm like, ah, yeah, this, I know this one. This is (laughs) pretty good. What I like about this song is it's kind of starts off a little
2: on the, on the bland and generic side. But when Collins comes in with those vocals, he really steps up and sings his face off on this deal and anybody who well you know phil can he really sing yeah he can really sing he's killing it on this track
0: Yeah, no, it does great, and and Tony does very nice work on his Yamaha on this one. I mean, I, I this is a very nice song, but like mm-hmm. I said, you know, fifty on the Hot 100, but eleven on Adult Contemporary because yeah. when you just want that mellow drive home, this is perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Eh, but what are they taking too hard? I mean, what's the subject of it? No video for it, yeah, uh, but it was released and Silver Rainbow, which is also uh, which we're going to get to here. Uh, mm-hmm. which is coming up, is the B-side. I, I think just a job to do is the only song that was not released as a single or a B-side off the album. Everything which, else was a single or a B-side. Which it totally could have. Yeah, and I know because they played it on the radio anyway. I yeah. was <laughs> you know, like, how do I know this? They didn't release this. I'm like, oh yeah, they played this on the radio. I heard it, you know? And it's pretty good. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but But no, taking it all too hard, yeah, you recognize this. But I feel like this is one of those that you don't know if it's Genesis or Phil Collins, like especially right away, you know what I Ca- mean. <laughs>
2: and and that's that's one of the things that that always kind of sticks with me. I saw two seconds of an interview with Tony Banks, and he was talking about this time, and he said, yeah, "Well, you know, it's." It's hard to, it's hard to really put your finger on who the creative force in the band was. Really, Tony? Because, because <laughs> I was talking to my wife about this, like you can play the game. Is this a Phil Collins song or is this a Genesis song? And there's a lot of them, especially like you said, this one, you're, it's going to be tough. Is this one of his, or is this one of the Genesis songs? Cause it, it, you can definitely feel his pop influence coming into the band now.
0: That's right. That's right. And so, you know, Tony's sticking up for himself, I know.
2: Oh, of course. I understand. He's not going (laughs) to be like, yeah, we totally took a back seat. I understand he's not going to say that, but still, like... Do you really believe that or you just, you know, that's stiff upper lip?
0: Yeah, exactly. So this is, to me, it's... But Mike wrote the lyrics for this. Mm -hmm. They they all wrote the music together. You know, that's great. It kind of endures. I don't know if they played it a whole lot. I mean, I'm sure they played it on the Mama Tour. I don't know if they played it a whole lot in years since. But yeah, to me, it's like, it's exactly that. Like you take three or four Phil Collins albums and then you take the 80s Genesis. And this is one of the ones where you... (laughs) If you didn't know for sure, unless you're a hardcore (laughs) fan, you would say, oh, that's Phil Collins. Like, no, no, that's actually, that's Genesis. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All right. Moving on to song number three, Just a Job to Do. Now, this is, like I said, this is like the one that didn't get released as a single somehow. But I like this one. This is actually pretty good. Good, so it's kind of got that fast paced keyboard at the front of it, there, yeah. The bang, bang, bang <laughs> down they go, yeah. And the nice oh, guitar yeah. part, too, yeah.
2: It, and it's uh, yeah, it, it this is uh, this, this is probably the most upbeat, most rocking tune they've got on here. I again, I don't know why they didn't release it as a single or make a video because I mean, you, I can already picture what's going on in my head. It's some you know, greasy private eye looking for somebody. Uh, uh not really a whole lot the, the lyrics aren't super deep but it tells it's a nice story
0: song yeah and he's really belted it out here phil i, mean, yeah. I got a name and i got a number Yeah, I guess that's kind of it's kind of a private eye kind of thing is but the theme of it is
1: mm-hmm.
0: pretty darn good song. If you ask me now, you can't release everything as right. a single. <laughs> I, I would have released this before illegal alien. I mean, I understand they're trying to have a little bit of fun, but it just seems like someone should have tapped him on the shoulders. Like, first of all, this song is weird secondly some people might not like it but then we didn't really have sensitivity to anybody other than ourselves back in the early 80s i don't feel like no, it's a joke Come especially on. english people, people right you know yeah. yeah it's like you're all beneath us anyway so it doesn't really matter <laughs> what color your skin is <laughs> you know or where you're from uh so you know you're all peasants as far as we're concerned but just a job to do the hard on you has good transitions in it i'm like this yeah. is a really
2: good it's got, yeah, it's a really got a good nice song. chorus it's, yeah. it's a nice a nice bridge and ni- yeah everything in there and i couldn't believe i went through i couldn't believe it was not ever used in miami vice but it was used in another at another show Oh it yeah, was the in, yeah. It was the intro to. I think it was a, only a thirteen episode deal. It was a Miami Vice ripoff called The Insiders. I'm like, I know I've heard this before. Really? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was about. They. I think they were supposed to be like newspaper reporters or something. It never got. It never got picked up. But. I just remember that. I just remember watching the intro to that show. I don't think I ever watched the show one time, I'm like, but I love this song. Right. And that was a way you could hear it. Interesting. All right. Well, that's good, deep background that I didn't have. That's pretty awesome. And one wow. of the, uh, it was the, you know, it was the white guy and the black guy, just like uh, Miami Vice. <laughs> just and like the, and Tubbs. Correct. Correct. Except for the Tubbs in this show was my cousin, Stoney Jackson.
0: Nice, Stoney.
2: Yeah. Correct. So.
0: Shout out to the uh, extended family here. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was a Banks uh, lyric, right? But I, and, and you get it on rock radio here in America. So it's kind of like this thing is unstoppable. I mean, of course, what did Invisible Touch come out? Was it 86? It was 86. Okay. So that's, that's a few years. That's a long time. But, I mean, they had singles coming out for a whole year from late, you know, uh, 83 all the way through the summer of 84. Plus, you got... This one doing well on its own, just a job to do on, on rock radio. So they, they kind of, you know, they stretch it out a little bit more. And then, of right. course, when f- uh, no jacket required f- comes out, that skyrockets. And that i guess helps genesis i mean do you think that helps genesis or hurts them i i feel like it helps them i feel like it helps it too because
2: the songs are so much the same or in the similar vein like if you like face value you'd like this record if you like you know if you if you like uh no jacket required you'd like this mm-hmm. it's it's i think it helps them in the sales
0: i think so too although eventually it would create backlash because look the, the record industry the the, the industry executives maybe in like the 60s or early 70s they knew something about music they were young they knew what was coming up and that kind of thing by the time you got to like the late 70s and into the early 80s all the original folks were too old to kind of know what's going on and it all became very copycat so it's like Mm -hmm. oh you guys like punk okay let's get rid of all that prog stuff and everything's punk you know it's like and then it kind of became new wave and then it's like oh you guys like hair metal let's put let's sign every single hair metal band. There is so much so that by the end of the eighties, you're sick of it. And then in the early nineties, you have to have grunge to get rid of it. Oh, you don't like that anymore. Okay. Let's kill off all the hair metal bands. Let's just sign every single grunge band. And then you get sick of that, you know, and it has to go to something else. So it's like executives aren't too bright. They're like, Oh, the, the, The morons out there like this, let's give them as much of this as they can Mm -hmm. stomach, right? And so that's what happened with Phil Collins and Genesis. Oh, you like Phil Collins. All right, well, he's going to have five singles off his solo album. And then in a year and a half, we're going to have five singles off a Genesis album. And then we're going to let him do a soundtrack, you know, But he's going to do against all odds during this time. You know, he's going to do the White Nights, you know, song, whatever it was. Um, Not White Nights, but um, it was a duet he did with that girl that was... uh, Oh, yeah. It
2: was a separate, uh, separate lives. Separate lives. Think, yeah. Yeah, you you know, yeah. I think that was from White Knights.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Separate lives comes out, you know, and it's like, oh, Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind and Fire wants to do a solo. Album. Well, let's put Phil Collins on there with yeah. him. It'll be better than Ebony and Ivory, you know, and, and it was, you know, it's like, God, they just put him into everything. It's like, yeah. OK, this works. Let's sell the snot out of this till people are so sick. Until the time we do the '90s, like Phil Collins is a meme before we knew what a meme was. Like <laughs> people are so much backlash. Oh, it's all so cheesy and it's all the same. Like, well, you kept buying it. You yeah, know, you did, you, 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 for about a solid about 10, 12 years,
2: you did love him, and he was he was all over the place, and the, you know, it parlayed that into other acting roles. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you really you can't argue with success You can't argue with over a hundred million sales yeah. of his it, solo stuff alone
0: for both. Right. Yeah. Like, it, this is a question that, that I ask and, and people usually get the first two and they never get the third. It's like, there are three artists who sold a hundred million records with their original band and a hundred million as a solo artist. And that includes singles and everything like, mm-hmm. you know, who are they? And people always get Paul McCartney. Right. And they usually get Michael Jackson. And they never get Phil Collins. <laughs> and it's true. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars. He doesn't really care what you think anymore. Although yeah. he does. I've seen him get a little butt butthurt. And, and he will attack people in the press, especially in England, where the press is just a little nastier. He can get a little nasty back. And because the press like we're the nasty ones you don't get to be nasty then they really attack him you know so (laughs) like seriously phil collins is people in america like oh yeah he's cheesy but like people in the uk are like screw him you know kind of thing plus he moved to to he he lived in america for a while and people didn't like that he moved to switzerland basically for tax purposes Hmm. they never like that Although all the rich English people do it, yeah. so I, I don't know what their problem is. But anyway, moving on to Silver Rainbow. Now, this was actually Tony Banks this is the one he wrote on this side. It was originally called Adam because it kind of sounded like something Adam Ant would do, I guess, okay. in their mind. I had never heard this one before. I bought the record. It, it's to me, this is very early eighties. <laughs> L- like if you just gave me the dates, like all right, this either came off of Invisible Touch in eighty six. Or Genesis 83, which one was it? Like obviously Genesis 83, because by 86 the music had changed. This is very (laughs) with the keyboards and stuff, this is very early 80s to me.
2: This sounds like maybe an old song that they had lying around that they kind of jazzed up for the uh, for the early eighties. this is the most leftover proggy style in the whole album you think so yeah i kind of think like that that's what it sounds like to me it sounds like this this was an idea maybe that they had that they it's not going to work on the record but here if we change it up a little bit Mm -hmm. that's what it sounds like to me it also kind of sounds like in a couple of the refrains he sounds a lot like peter gabriel on on one or two of the real quick
0: oh yeah yeah to me anyway well then that's that's probably informing the way you describe it as well right yeah you know yeah if you if you're hearing pete then you're like, it, it automatically takes you like yeah. 73 or whatever. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I I, I like it. I mean, it's, it, the B side to taking it all too hard, it's probably not one that I would search out. Ooh, I want to listen to Silver Rainbow today. It fits in, I think, on the album, but... It fits the time more than it fits mm-hmm. the album to me. Yeah, and then and now I'm kind of biased
2: going through and listening to these. People talk about producing records,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: about where you and how you sequence and like, oh, you know, you put your you put your weak stuff almost at the end of the second side. So, right? Like, is that what this is? Or are you trying to sneak this in right before the end of this, or what's going on here?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like we we've had. We had five singles on the album. Can't even fit them all on the first side, you know. So yeah, we'll and this is a B side. We'll just kind of mm. squeeze it in here at the end. And it's it's going to get better. The last song, which is Rutherford again, my notes are very 80s schlock (laughs) sounds like the end roll credits to a bad 80s rom-com like 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 you know she at the end they, they decide oh you know what we really do love each other and they make out in the office building or you know as the kids are going crazy around them or whatever and then the credits roll and then this song comes on I don't love this one. This is definitely like, we had better songs and Phil's got better songs on his solo records. We even put a few good songs out on a EP last year. So it's like, we're just rounding this out. We're getting it to forty six minutes, and we'll see you on tour.
2: Yeah, you know, you're talking about the '80s rom com, or you know, they he grabs her from the wedding, and they they <laughs> drive off in the convertible because they're really in love. Yeah, something like that. The groove, the, the the it's got kind of a fat bass groove, and that's nice. But yeah, it's the, the lyrics are generic they don't mm-hmm. really mean anything you just kind of put them in there exactly and, and again i'm i'm biased now too because this is the last song is this something that you just kind of buried eh, they won't even get to this anyway so who cares <laughs>
0: Pretty much. That's the way I look at it. You know, when you have such strong stuff or at least popular stuff uh, up front, it's all front loaded. I think it's I think it's actually tough with an album like this
2: when you have if you have like say you bought this late. Like it's still we're still talking 83, 84, but you bought this late Mm -hmm. and you heard all the singles. it's hard to sneak anything else in there because you're like, I'm just now I'm just want to go through and listen to the singles that I know. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you only had like one or two, maybe you listen to the record of the record and kind of give it a chance. But now you're like, nah, skip, skip, skip. I'm done. Let's go back to the beginning.
0: Probably so. And then they did a successful tour and then they had to take some time off. And then Mike went and did Mike and the mechanics, you know? So it's like, and, and Tony, I'm sure worked on some, some stuff, you know? And, and so, yeah man, I mean, this is this is setting them up for for great success. Well, they've already had great success. This yeah. is 4 million in the US by itself, but this is kind of wedged in between some or I'm sorry, Phil Phil went on to do No Jacket Required. Sorry, Face Value was 81. He went on to do No Jacket Required, and that's one of the biggest albums of the 80s. I mean, yeah. 25 million sold worldwide, 12 million <laughs> in the US alone, 2 million in the UK which at the time meant like one in every 25 people had one. And it went to number one in the US, the UK, Switzerland, Sweden, Spain, Norway, New Zealand, Germany, the Netherlands, Canada, top 10, almost everywhere else. It's like you couldn't get away from Phil Collins at this point. And it had what it did have five singles on it, I think. I think um, so. Yeah or at least four at Susudio one more night. Don't lose my number and take me home. But I think there might be one more that we know for one reason or another, but anyway, I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. He had four singles off of that,
2: but, but if you're talking about that, so that, so you had one in January, two in January, July, two in January, and two in July. So basically you had half a year of putting these things out and it just keeps rolling. And then for Genesis, you roll into invisible touch which i'm trying to find where the sales of this are but this was even bigger than the genesis record
0: oh yeah 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 i mean invisible touch i think was like 16 million something Jeez. like that yeah, Why, you know yeah. something like that and it's it's like good lord man this, so if you go from this little one this little genesis record which only <laughs> sold about seven or eight million <laughs> you know copies then you go to your solo album, which ends up doing 25 million. Then you go to to invisible touch, which was 6 million in the U S plus you're right on both coasts of the world for live aid, you know, plus you, you end up on Miami vice plus, 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 plus it's like the guy was minting money, mm-hmm. but he was working hard for it. I, I got to give him credit, you know, because like he's, he's, he's working on Robert plant solo albums and he also did, you know, the U S port of. Of Robert's first tour as a solo artist, you know, he's doing the thing with Philip Bailey. He's doing stuff for soundtracks. He's doing solo albums that sell incredibly well. He's doing these Genesis albums and tours that go incredibly well. It's not like he was Jimmy Page just sitting home collecting money (laughs) because Led Zeppelin still sells and is still playing on the radio. He's Mm -hmm. out there earning it, man. I mean, give him a little credit.
2: Yeah, and and you know, you're talking about Miami Vice on that one uh, episode. Like he was the featured it wasn't yeah. he wasn't on for two seconds like you know hey you know there's that guy and then he walks off i mean he was the main character of that episode and then I fill the shill man him. yeah and right. he had his song
0: he had a song rat race on yeah. it you know life is a rat race chasing easy buddy it also had emo phillips the weirdo comedian on there is <laughs> <laughs> the that's guy they right. duped on the show so yeah. stan wouldn't win so yeah <laughs> but you know look this is this is just an interesting inflection point in the history of genesis especially as this huge pop band because from 78 to 82 they were gaining momentum right and every album did a little bit better face value comes out in 81 it pops phil collins up hello i must be going comes up it pops them up more but then this is the inflection point where genesis is doing well they're still the big band but then when no jacket require comes out Now, it's like Phil doesn't even have to do Genesis anymore. It's better to take 100% of Phil Collins than a third of Mm -hmm. Genesis. And it might even be better to do a third of Phil Collins than (laughs) a third of Genesis, to be honest with you. But Invisible Touch is huge. I mean, it's just this huge run, and it's, it's kind of part of this phil collins ubiquity that a lot of people eventually got very tired of
2: right and and that does stink because you know he was so successful that people got sick of him okay well you know that sounds like sour grapes but when you think about it you know he was a guy who they picked up to be the drummer of this band in what 1970 70 i think yeah, 70 or 71 70. yeah and so he's playing the drums the guy the guy your main guy decides he doesn't want to do it anymore you recruit him to do the singing. And then from then on, it becomes even bigger. There aren't really many bands that have ever done that before. It made this pretty radical change from this prog all-stars to mainstream success over the top 100 million sales. I don't think that you can really discount that.
0: I, I totally agree and it's probably part of why tony is still a little bent out of shape about it because he was a founder of the band with pete and mike and you know went to charter house together you know like mates since they're teenagers they started they bring this guy in and he's the drummer yes he can help write the songs and he is a fine singer he can do some backup but then once he's out front it's kind of like this guy i brought in is now bigger than i am in my band yeah
2: right and and, that's, and then, that's weird yeah and then and then you know you do these you do these tours and are they showing up to just see phil collins like if that like if genesis had swapped out the other two guys would anybody really have known in the mainstream ticket buying populace in 1983 probably not probably not
0: So people have divided opinion on Genesis' 1983 self-titled album, Genesis, with the big hits, That's All, Mama, Home by the Sea, a good album, a popular album, and was this really the full-on death knell? Here of the end of the prog Genesis. I know you put Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea together, it's one big long song, it's a suite, I get it. But for all the prog head Genesis fans from the 70s, were they already like, This is no longer my band, did it start in 1978 with and then there were three, and just gradually got to this point? Or was this one like, Okay, now they've really changed, they're not the same band, and I'm not going to support them? Which probably didn't bother the guys that much because. Now they've got millions more supporting them around the world. So you trade one set of loyal fans for a set of, well, maybe not so loyal, but a big, big crowd. I don't know. But having Phil Collins sing and help write these songs was huge for them. And it was huge for his solo time as well. I mean, this run in 1980 to 1986, 87, 88 for Phil was unbelievable. Yes, a lot of people think he's cheesy. Now in retrospect. And I think the industry is to blame phil probably is a bit to blame for never saying no but at any rate i think you have to respect the guy there's some great songs on here maybe a lot of them do fall into that adult contemporary not cool hard rock like we usually talk about on this show but growing up in the 80s you couldn't get away from this stuff and this album the 1983 genesis album to me is very interesting because it's a very precise Point in the trajectory of both phil collins and genesis and it turns 40 and we wanted to share our thoughts with you here on the show so as usual we want to know folks did we get something right did we get something wrong did we miss the point did we leave out your favorite part and i know i screwed up some of phil collins solo albums when i was talking about them i'm sorry about that would like to shout out to marilyn martin who phil collins sang separate lives with from the white knight soundtrack but you gotta let us know you gotta let us know when we screw up and sometimes jackson knows what i'm talking about even when i'm saying the wrong thing and he doesn't stop me because he gets it but we know sometimes it doesn't always translate to you guys so Call us on our shit, guys. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. Or you can tweet us, DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. You let us know what we screwed up. But you can also let us know the bands, the albums, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about. Make sure that you all go out and visit RareVinyl.com. Wherever you are, you record collectors. And they've got a lot of Genesis stuff from over the years. Go to the site. Use the one-time code UGLY. Save yourself 10%. They ship all around the world. Thank you to Pantheon Pods for helping us put this together. And thank you for listening. It really means the world to us. I know we do a lot of diverse kind of stuff on here, and we appreciate you taking the journey with us. So please download and subscribe. And if you're thinking about it, guys, go ahead and give us a positive review wherever you download subscribe. It's huge for us. It helps us grow the show, find more rock and rollers like you. And if you let us know about it, We'll probably read it on the show. Now, in the near future, we've got some more fun, cool stuff lined up for you. And, of course, we have some big records celebrating big anniversaries that we're going to want to talk about. No spoilers. You're just going to have to tune in next time. But until next time, to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive.